In this episode of Heart of the Faithful Ministries podcast, I had a chance to talk with my childhood friend, Sergio Wooden. And in our conversation, we discuss our Christian faith amidst the trials of our time. And it ranged from COVID, politics, to racism. Hope you enjoy the show. Sergio Wooden, how are you doing today? I'm blessed and highly favored there, uh, Brother Ron Howard. Uh, just glad to be able to, to speak with you this evening. And, and really, hopefully, what we say this evening will um, give some insight and give some clarity to some folks who may be struggling with some things. Absolutely. You know, after 2020, don't we all need some clarity? I know the the whole, uh, there, there's that meme or, or joke, kind of, it's a little bit meta that you have the 2020 is you know, clear vision, but man, 2020 was muddled up. Uh, well, and, and that's the thing. Uh, 2020 was quite the, the year. Uh, and the, the, the meme that I found uh, fairly entertaining and funny as of late is that uh, 2020 is now 21 and is able to drink and is causing as much chaos, but uh, we're, <laughs> we're 21 yes. days in. So really hopefully it, it hasn't been as bad, but all joking aside, uh, yes, clarity um, is something that we need more now than any other time um, in our recent history. And it's because uh, of the fears and the anxieties and the uh, misdirection and the miscommunication that has happened across all uh, portions of our society. And, and I think the, the, the one thing that points to clarifying things is scripture or just a personal relationship with God. When we put the, the, the lens of God in front of us, it changes our perspective and it changes our, um, our thought process and how we move forward. You know, the whole reason I even started this podcast was because of COVID. We ended up getting COVID. We noticed it pretty much on Halloween. We were starting to go back to church and everything was starting to get, you know, somewhat normal. There was all the social distancing and all of the things that were going on there, but we needed an outlet, or at least I needed an outlet. Let's put it that way, because I have been a minister at heart for, you know, decades. I'm, you know, was, came to the Lord in 1994 and I have been an evangelist ever since. So I needed a place and an outlet to kind of talk about these things and look at these issues that we're going to talk about today. So let's start with, because I've kind of already opened Pandora's box on it, let's talk about COVID-19. Okay. What what are your views and how do you see what's going on with COVID-19? And let me preface that. Yesterday, we had the inauguration of mm-hmm. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris as our president and vice president. And they are going to have new mindsets, new thoughts, and new plans on COVID-19. But as far as we're concerned, as the church, where do we stand or where where do you stand or, or see yourself in the church standing as far as COVID-19 is concerned? So I, I will say this. I, I do not have a, a, a doctorate. Uh, in, in, in medicine or, or in, in health. But here's what I know. 
I know that it is a a serious disease, a virus, uh, something that anyone can come across, just much like the the common everyday flu. Right. It is something that we should handle with great care. But what I believe has happened, and this is one of the things that I'm mindful of, been led to believe that it is greater than what it really is. Um, and in doing so, the fear has been, it's going to happen to me, oh, I can't do. I happen to, to, to be familiar with um, the SBCV, uh, which is the uh, Southern Baptist Convention of Virginia and the SBC, uh, Southern Baptist Convention. Um, and the numbers that the SBC put out there is that uh, because of the pandemic, we are seeing close, uh, churches close at a phenomenal rate, okay? And, and it's one that is concerning because if they're not Bible-believing, Bible-preaching, teaching, and professing churches, well, what will people cling to? What will people uh, go to for hope and guidance and direction? they'll start to look to the world. And the more that we look to the world for our answers and our solutions, the greater the problem will become. So I, I honestly believe that it's, um, uh, it's an instrument being used by Satan to discourage uh, believers from gathering. Uh, I believe it is a tool that is being used to divide um, our, uh, our country, uh, our different communities. And I believe that it is a greater threat to our walk than it is to our actual personal health. Does that make sense? That does. Well, let me ask this, because one of the reasons why I wanted you to be on this podcast, beyond the fact that we've known each other for, I'm not even going to say how long, because yeah, we don't want nobody to know our ages. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but one of the reasons why I have you on the podcast is the fact that you on social media have been um, kind of an influencer, if you will, in bringing unity and calling for peace and calling for a use of sovereignty to bring us together. And so with that, social media and watching Christians on social media, honestly, has been disheartening. There are a lot of people that have had to kind of quiet down because, you know, Facebook has that little, you know, take a break from this person for a little while type stuff, you know, because of the fact that even Christians, as Christians, we're not taking the virus serious enough for those who can't or who are afraid. So why is it so polarizing? that it's hard for people to understand that we could gather if we only follow the recommendations so that we can take care of those who are elderly or those who have kind of a compromised immune, yes, system. Compromised immune system. Yes, exactly. So the reason why it's polarizing is that for far too long in our recent history, we have um, taken for granted our a right, our privilege to gather and to do without there being any 
uh, caveats, without there being any uh, necessary precautions, without there being anything that tells us that there's a, a cost for us to gather. Uh, when you get to a point where you are complacent in how you have uh, been a- allowed to do, uh, any change to that is disruptive. And we know historically people do not like change. Uh, so you now then have the advent of social media and social media saying you can voice your opinions and you can do so. And you, you may be saying something that will uh, strike a chord with others who have similar beliefs. And before it just was not good etiquette to say you can think what you want, but it's not always good etiquette to say the things that you are being allowed to say in social media. And that's where the rub is you all of a sudden have uh, these extra things um, put on people. Like if you're going to go to church, uh, please uh, make sure that you social distance. Well, I want to sit next to Bob and Joanne and uh, I want to make sure that we can talk and, and fellowship. Well, there you can, but if you're going to sit close to Bob and Joanne, you need to have a mask on. Well, I can't hear cause they're talking through a mask. Well, it's just to safeguard because Bob and Joanne have an elderly parent that they're taking care of. Why, why should I need to do all of that? I have rights. I have, you know, uh, I, I shouldn't have to, you know, do all these extra things. And the more that it is presented that it is for someone else and not necessarily for you, uh, a great portion of our culture is like, no, I'll take care of me. Y'all take care of y'all. Stop infringing on my rights and my privileges and the greater good or the greater community has been lost in that sight. And it's very, um, it's very disturbing when Christians are a part of that because we're taught scripturally that we are to sacrifice for those who cannot for themselves. Yes. We're told to, consider others before we consider ourselves. And I, I, I direct people when they ask, where is that? And I say, well, you, you look no further than the, the greatest commandments. You know, the greatest commandment is to love God and have no other before him. And then just like it is to love thy neighbor as thyself. And I've always said, you know, if you're going to look in the mirror and see yourself, ask yourself, would you let yourself be in some of the positions that we allow our fellow man to be in? And that's a really disheartening thing with the church today, because like with this COVID thing, you know, the whole Corona scare and and I, I believe that it is a very serious disease because we don't know as much about it. We, it's still novel. Thank goodness that there's a vaccine that's coming out, but we could have gathered and we could have kept things going and we could have stayed the course as a church. Had we just followed the guidelines that we were told to follow because, you know, talking about the church in Albany who, you know, the pastor and, they, they almost decimated a church because the pastor's brother went to a funeral or a wedding or something of that nature. I don't know all the details, but 
they decimated the church. It was an elderly Southern Baptist, Southern Georgia church. All they had to do was follow the rules, social distance, wear a mask. There were ways around it. But it seems that church, we have put our rights over what God has asked of us, which is to love our neighbor and to take care of our neighbor and to do for our neighbor. And as much as it is, you know, um, as much as it feels like a violation, it's more so a violation to not love on a neighbor in that regard. And now we're here to this point that we're waiting for the church to come back and, and the vaccines to happen. But I really don't think that that's the way it's going to be. Honestly, I think that we're going to have to be creative and come up with a new way to do church. You're, you're correct in, in, in the regard that we're going to have to be a little creative in um, getting those back to church that may have departed church. Um, I'm, I'm mindful that um, if we go back and we look historically, uh, when Martin Luther left uh, the church, there was concern of how many people would follow. Uh, there was a concern with just what direction the church would take there and, and then what it would end up doing for the message. And here's what we see happen. Those who were devout believers and followers of Martin Luther followed Martin Luther. Uh, those who were uh, still wanting to bear their allegiance to the the, the the established church in in, in England and in in, in that sector of, of Europe, um, they stayed steadfast to the the church. The one thing that prevails, though, regardless, is that God's word was going to be heard, and it was going to reach those who God intended for it to reach. So here's where we get creative. We get back to the principles that we find in the early first century church, where you're talking about community and home churches. You get back to that small group environment where there's that um, the intimate growth and relationship, and then you come back to the local larger uh church to impact the local community and then you expel you know not expel but you expound on that by uh sending uh your your believers who feel led to be missionaries to the mission field this is something that we had not seen in the last two three four decades which is genuine missionary work we have gotten to a point where we go to the same places with the same projects, expecting that there's going to be some bountiful return when we have not looked to go to the places where, quite frankly, um, you know, we should be scared to go. But we go because we know that uh, if God is with us, who can stand against us? You know, the Acts of the Apostles 
watching them go into all these places that they were sent into with, they had fear, they had trepidation, they, they knew what they were doing, but they were able to overcome that because they knew where the power came from. And I think that's what's going to happen with the church now is that we're going to have to learn to rely, you know, that the, the old hymn, you know, learning to lean, learning to, you know, we're going to have to actually learn to lean on Jesus Christ and actually learn to love like Jesus Christ and become more like him than we ever have. Because if there's one thing that I've learned as a pastor is that doctrinally speaking, you can talk and you can have every single thing, every single thing on point as far as your doctrine is concerned you can be able to argue and and you know you could just spew apologetics in such a fantastic magnificent way like uh dr lane craig or you know william lane craig i'm sorry or or ravi zacharias or someone like that but at the same time these people aren't looking for that what is needed most especially for these people who, you know, are afraid of the Corona and the COVID. And this actually goes along with everything that we're talking about today is acceptance because isn't that the one thing that Christ gave more than anything else? I answer that by saying, look at the 12. <laughs> right. <laughs> you got a fisherman. Okay. Okay. You got a fisherman? Okay, okay, okay. Not, not, not the, you know, uh, not the, not, not a, not a, not a problem person. But you, you know, they, they got a smelly smell, man. Okay, you got the tax collector. Yeah, yeah. Don't, don't necessarily know that I want to be known for being with the, the, the tax collector. Uh, you, you, you got the, the, the physician. Mm, yeah. Uh, no, no. Uh, because uh, if you think about physicians in that time, uh, they they weren't necessarily known to be the most uh, upstanding. They were necessary. <laughs> they were a necessity of society, but they weren't always. So then you you, you look even further. You, you know, while we didn't know it, uh, we we had the the betrayer. Uh, we we had the the persecutor. We had the the list goes on and on. But the one thing that he did in bringing those 12 in was say that as God, I can use anyone. And in showing how he could transform those individuals into his mighty tools was a form of acceptance and a form of showing the power and authority that he had in his being. And that is what we need to expose people to just as much as we need to expose them to the love, grace, and mercy. We need to be able to expose them to the transformative power that resides in the name of Jesus Christ. When we do that, who, who, we, we can do a, a great, mighty thing. And we can do so because he said, I would give you the power to do even greater things in my name than I have done in my time here. That's God. And looking at those different people, they came from all walks of life. And I'll let that kind of be our segue into our next subject, which we're talking about 
race and unification of race. Now I've heard, you know, all of the things being said from black lives matter. I've heard all of the things being said from, um, the, the, the left side, the right side, the political views and and all these things is racial pride, a bad thing. Is it bad to say that I have pride in being a black man or in being a white man or in being Hispanic woman or, or an Asian man? So here's where I all started. Uh, one of the books that I've encountered, uh, uh, one blood, one race by Ken Ham, um, phenomenal book. Um, and it talks about where the construct for uh, the different races came from. And if we go back to, uh, again, keep in mind that we are biblically-minded individuals, you and I, uh, we go back to the creation story. Uh, in the beginning, <laughs> God created and dot, 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 on this day, he created man and woman in their image, singular point of origin. We know that if we were to delve deeper into the, the, the curse on uh, Shem, that there would be those who would, okay, got it. But if we were to just look at the, the, the telling of the story at the time of Babel and how the, the nations were divided and sent into various directions. If we were to look at how uh, skin pigmentation uh, can be mutated over generations of people living in particular climates, if we look at how hair and, 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 and uh, eye colors can differentiate from one generation to another, without there really being a huge leap, and then you can have this anomaly that occurs, we get where the differences um, become uh, apparent. But I would venture to sprinkle in just a little bit of science, and there's only six things that differentiate me from you genetically. So if we have all of this in common, where did the divide or where did the the need to differentiate come about and it's really about a matter of how one would would showcase their power or their perceived power and authority over another and it is from that that we look at how the egyptians thought that they were greater than the jews it is from that concept that you saw uh, one Zulu, uh, you saw a Zulu tribe think that they were uh, greater than a, a Nigerian tribe. It's how you would see that a Seminole would never have uh, interacted with a Choctaw or a, a Chippewa or a, uh, a Cherokee, even within the same people groups. There was means of differentiating who were the high authority and who were not. We could go on and talk at length of the caste system in India. And if you look at the makeup of people in India, it is 96% native Indians. 
So how could you call or find that there was a, a mean, well, it, the caste system was, uh, I was wealthy and you were not. Um, we have this kind of uh, skin complexion where you are darker. So we are um, greater because we aren't as dark and, and, and low casted as you. The issue here is that because there was this division or this need to differentiate, um, however far back we want to go and look at how it propelled itself into something that was vastly skewed uh, one way or the other, is we forgot that when you punch me, I feel pain. When I am stricken with sorrow, I cry. When you cut me, my blood is just as red as your blood. And at the very core of that blood is the blood shed by Jesus Christ on a cross when he died for each and every person that had lived, was living, and would live. When we can get back to that commonality, that singular thing that unites us versus the multitude of things that could divide us, then we won't struggle. We won't have the problems that we do. Now, it's going to take a lot for that to happen, and it's going to take folks realizing that we can have a discussion and we can disagree, and at the end of the day, we can still be friends Unlike when I disagree with you on Facebook, then I'm berating you. Um, I am uh, calling you out your name. I am, you know, telling you to go back to wherever you came from and not realizing that you're a human being just like I am. I think that's a real huge issue that we're coming up over and over again is the fact that we are seeing people who are relying on self again, focusing on self, the vanity of man is what's causing a lot of the problems. And this is a democracy that has had to view itself and answer the question of why, if we are democracy, that we don't treat some people the way others are treated. How is it actually even a democracy if we have these differences between the racists? If if we are given these rights due to us by God, according to Thomas Jefferson, why is it that we have the right to treat a human being any greater or less than any other human being? And as Christians, we use the Bible, not we, it's the royal we, of course, but Christians and mankind use the Bible to justify unrightly so, but to justify slavery and racism that has gone on in the United States. And now we have corrected those things legally. We have tried to correct those things politically. Now, today, everyone is supposed to have opportunity on an equal footing. We, we, we know that that's not the case. Just like you said, everyone in India, they're all the same native race. However, 
there's a caste system there that puts those who do not have against those that do have. And we have that same thing happening in America today. Our political system is trying to drive a wedge between you and I. And I mean that in the sense of our political views, our religious views, our color, our race, whatever it may be, it is trying to drive a wedge between us because it is exploiting the anxieties that we have, especially now with Corona, with the fact that we have dealt with race issues and we have dealt with probably in my lifetime, one of the toughest political election cycles that we have ever had to go through. So again, putting the focus back on God, putting the focus back on our ability to come to the Lord and to humble ourselves before him and to look in the mirror and to ask that question, would I allow my brother or my sister to be in that position and driving downtown and seeing someone who's laying there trying to stay warm, especially because it's January, so it's cold here. It's it's really heartbreaking. So he, he, here's where I, I think we have gotten, um, uh, while we have had a head knowledge of who Christ is, while we have had uh, feel-good sermons about what we can do, uh, we have lost the heart knowledge. Follow me, if you will. The heart knowledge compels you to act. That's encoded in the DNA. I have compassion. Uh, I have a, a sense of what is right and what is wrong. And it is such that if I have that heart knowledge of what God would have me do, and I am living according to God's uh, commands for my life, then I'm going to act. The head knowledge comes into play when we have fear of, well, do we know whether or not that person really is living on the street or are they a con artist? The the, the head knowledge comes into play with, well, I, I, I've seen too many of them insert the race or uh, nationality or or, um, whatever that don't do so, why should I help them? And we start to give in or believe the things that bombard us because we see more of it in our media, in our social media, and in the day-to-day constructs that it becomes the norm Whereas there was a point in time when we, if we go back to scripture and if we go back to even the uh, 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 evangelical explosion uh, during the 50s and 60s, there was a uh, a call to arms, so to speak, and making sure that one, the gospel truth was heard, no matter how painful it was to hear it. But then there was also the call to act upon what you have heard. Now we don't hear nearly as much of a call to hear the truth. We hear things that are good to hear, uh, not necessarily stepping on our toes. We hear things that are pleasing to us. That's that, uh, you know, uh, 
that 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 small warning that we hear in Revelations about uh, false prophets and pro false teachers, and then we hear no regard or no call to action. If you are part of a church and you feel so led to tie tie, if you feel so uh, so uh, called to attend regularly, attend. But it's glaring when the statistics by the Barrett Association says that the standard for a regular attendee is once a month. That's the standard, and that's not COVID-related, uh, you know, uh, statistics. But this is, you know, the standard for anyone at any given time who attends church, the standard is to be able to attend regularly once a month. That's not the, the, the church or the body of belief that I have or that I'm party to. If the doors of the church are open and I, I, I'm willing to take on that, the extra uh, concern with going in the midst of a pandemic, I go. But because that has not been the challenge late before uh, a lot of Christians in name, then we have come across a society now that I'm a Christian, I'm a good person. Well, if you go back to scripture, no, not even one is good. I pursue what is good, which is God. And I understand that that good is in the scope of what was good in the very beginning when God created it all. And in that mindset, because those other things have been allowed to creep in, we have lost some of the greatest things that we could have ever had, which is a universal hope um, to further uh, impact the lives of everyone within our nation because our nation was principally uh, established and founded with a universal understanding that God was all-powerful, all-capable, and always around. And it looks like due to time constraints, we're going to have to make this a two-parter. So please make sure that you follow and subscribe and uh, leave a comment. And you can check out what we have to say about politics. All right. Thank you so much for listening. When we are Christian in life, it is evident and it has far greater impact than if I'm a Christian in name, I say things, but then come back and contradict and have all the world seeing that I'm a hypocrite. I would also like to thank Ellie Howard for doing the cover art. And uh, I'm your host, Ron Howard.